Well, you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at one phrase in the Lord's Prayer as we've been making our way through this topic of the Lord's Prayer. We're now actually on part six. Our hope and goal is to finish this. We may have to combine some of the petitions from the Lord's Prayer. Um, but we kind of gave an overview of the Westminster Larger Catechism's teaching on prayer, and, and then we've used the Scripture proofs to help us to learn how to pray in this way. And I would encourage you, really the Reformed community has a, a wealth of resources to turn to for guidance in prayer. And um, you know, typically the instruction that you find from Reformed individuals does follow and lean heavily upon the Westminster Larger Catechism's teaching. Uh, but books on prayer take the subject and then expound upon the examples and topics that you find throughout Scripture. And there are several that I've collected over time. Um, you know, it's not to... It's, it's not meant to take those resources and um, sort of to, to turn our prayers into just a simple reading of the form prayer or of even scripture, to just read it. And, and, and I think you can read it in a prayerful manner that, that requires some meditation, though. I, I, and I think you can almost minimize prayer by just reciting something or just reading something. I, you also want to internalize that language and and, and pray from your heart. But, you know, prayer is, is communication with God. It's having, it's having um, a conversation with your maker. And so it's, it's speaking to him and using your own words is, is, is important. But I think we can get great help in his word as it provides categories for us. Right? That's really what the Lord's Prayer is doing for us. It helps us. It's not meant that we would only recite it word for word. And we said you could do that, and a lot of churches do that every, every Sunday. Right? They recite the, the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I, I think it's a good thing to do that. But it's also helpful to use it as, as, a, as speaking about categories of adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication as we've talked about. So we want to continue to, to think in those terms as well. Anyways, one of the resources I would recommend you consider is Matthew Henry's A Way to Pray. He takes the same kind of concept. He takes various passages of Scripture. This is called a method for prayer in, in its original title. So you may have seen it, Matthew Henry, A Method for Prayer. But the updated version is called A Way, for, a way to Pray. It's just edit, edited with modern language, basically, um, by O. Palmer Robertson. But it's, it's a really good resource. Also takes some of the topics of prayer that we find in Scripture. And then it, it elaborates by adding several passages of Scripture into a form of prayer. And I think the, the way I've used it is I've read it word for word. But then I kind of take that topic or that subject and I expound upon it in my own language. And, um, and, and pray wherever, you know, wherever that, that, um, my, my mind takes me in, in that prayer. But I think it's, it's helpful, especially if you're just not sure what to pray or how to pray. Um, these things are, are good resources and tools for us as long as they don't uh, simply become a crutch. Um, Matthew Henry seems to have scoured every biblical reference, and then he takes time to, to turn those verses into prayer. So he already kind of has done the work of, of using, uh, taking, taking words and, and then making it personal. You know, you, turning pronouns uh, so that as you read it, it sounds more natural. 
But it was, it was really meant to provide an example of how to use scripture to inform our prayers. Again, it's not simply meant to be read, but to be used as a support. And so I, I hope that, that this series might be doing the same thing. It allows you uh, to have another resource, um, an opportunity to learn how to pray in this way that the Lord has taught us. We, you know, we should take that to heart. The Lord has taught his disciples how to pray. Um, and, and so how are we praying this? Are we practicing this? Have we, have we tried to learn something from this? Because if you're like me, it's very easy to just fall into a rut of praying the exact same way, the exact, at the same time, all the time, right? To take our prayers before a meal and to say the same thing, to take our prayers before bedtime or when we wake up, and we, we have just almost this formula, Right, that, that maybe comes from our own words, but, but you end up saying the same thing. And so even if you think, well, praying this prayer as a, as a form, is um, that just seems too rigid. When you find yourself going off on and just praying on your own without any form, you also end up praying in a very rigid manner. Right? You fall into a rut and you pray the same thing. So I do think, um, again, these, these help you to expand the language that you use in prayer, to use biblical words and languages and topics so that as you're praying, you are praying back God's word to him, the promises that he's given to us. Um, So however you respond, seek the Lord's help in being a doer of his word and not a hearer only, right? And that's partly what we want to do here. We don't want to just hear teaching about prayer. We want to actually pray. We want to learn to pray. So as we consider this morning, um, we talked about prayer being one of the means by which God accomplishes his will. So our subject this afternoon ought to complement your understanding and application of our sermon on Revelation 8. And so let's quickly review uh, what we've covered the last few weeks. Uh, We learned about the preface to the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. Uh, that we come to God in prayer, acknowledging his heavenly majesty and power, uh, but also experiencing his fatherly kindness, right? So he's uh, our heavenly father. He's different than an earthly father in that sense, but he's also a father, right? So we don't, we think of him as great and powerful and perfect, something we've never seen on earth, and yet he's also a father. He's kind and gracious, and he wants to hear from us as his children, He's transcendent and imminent. He is holy, but he's made a way for us to be present with him through his son. Um, So when we say, hallowed be your name in the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, we enter into a season of adoration, recognizing his attributes. We, We appreciate him for who he is. And so this involves the positive giving of our praise to God as well as a a request or a desire to see anything that detracts from his glory to be removed. We we pray for an end to to evil and destructive tendencies in the world. And then last week, we looked at the second petition, your kingdom come. And if we desire God's kingdom, then we imply that there's another kingdom that we want to see destroyed, very similar to hallowed be your name, right? You, play, you have a positive prayer there, and there's also a negative component. You, you want to lift him up in his holiness, but you want to remove anything that clouds that holiness in this life, in this earth. 
and so same thing now as we pray for his kingdom to come, we recognize that there's also a kingdom of evil that is growing in this world that we want to pray uh, is ended. We know that that does take place at Christ's return. Um, but we can pray to that end and anticipate that day with an increasing hope. It's something we long for. Right? We, and when you long for the end of the kingdom of evil, what does that do in your heart? It begins to stir in you a desire to, to defeat sin, to have victory over, over sins that maybe even habitual sins in your life. So these things are good things to pray for. So in the meantime, we want to see God's kingdom advance throughout the world, and we also pray that his kingdom would have a healthy representation within the church. As you're praying for his kingdom to come, you pray that, that the church would model that kingdom, and it's filled with its own warts and problems and diseases, right? And so we want to pray for health among um, the leadership and among the members of the church. So this afternoon, we come to the third petition, which regards the will of God. So before we read it, let's ask the Lord for his help and understanding. Heavenly Father, we thank you that once again we can come to you in prayer. We want to be people of prayer. We want to trust in you at all times, to pray continually, even when we're not speaking words of prayer, that our hearts and our minds are constantly thinking in these ways. Lord, forgive us that we so easily get distracted, that we so easily lose track of time and and, and, and that we can actually be engaging with you in, in prayer, having conversations with others, but prayerfully asking for you to meet us in that conversation, that you would give us the words to say. And, uh, and so we have something to, to learn, Lord, from the Lord's prayer. We have something to learn about the way we can pray, uh, the words we should use, the, the kinds of categories we should be praying about. And so help us to learn this afternoon. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this truth and to apply it in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So read with me, Matthew chapter six, verses nine through 15. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, we're looking just at that specific petition, your will be done, that follows your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the Westminster Larger Catechism, it's question 192. It says, what do we pray for in the third petition? And here's the answer. In the third petition, which is thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, acknowledging that by nature, we and all men are not only utterly unable and unwilling to know and do the will of God, but prone to rebel against his word, to repine and murmur against his providence and wholly inclined to do the will of the flesh and of the devil. We pray that God would by his spirit take away from ourselves and others all blindness, weakness, indisposedness, and perverseness of heart 
and by his grace, make us able and willing to know, do, and submit to his will in all things with the like humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, and constancy as the angels do in heaven. So as we've seen in the past, each one of these petitions has that positive component and the negative component. It usually begins with the negative in the answer. In this case, uh, praying about his will to be done is first of all recognizing man's inability and rebellion, that we are inclined uh, to, to rebel against God and we don't have the ability to do or know his will. And so as we've uh, seen Right, the author begins by speaking about our state apart from God's help. We want to acknowledge that. We want to, I mean, that's partly why we're praying, right? Because we are dependent upon Him. We are acknowledging that apart from Him, we cannot do His will. We will be, uh, we will be utter failures over and over again. And so we automatically want to recognize our inability to do anything apart from Him. We never want to come before God presumptuous, right? Thinking that, that, you know, he's going to go before us and, and I really don't even need to pray. Or as we pray, we just, we assume um, everything, right? We, that's, that's presumptuous. We want to come once again, acknowledging our need for him. And so we should not come before the, gro- the throne of grace flippantly or casually. Again, some referencing that we heard this morning. Um, and so to that end, they, uh, they suggest, the authors of, of the Westminster Larger Catechism suggest two aspects of our weakness as humans. It says we are utterly unable and unwilling to know and do the will of God. Utterly unable and unwilling. And Job says that the wicked do not desire to know the ways of God. In Job 21 verse 14. So that might seem obvious enough when we're talking about the wicked, right? Of course, they don't want to or care to know the will of God. But what about believers? What does that mean for you and I? And the Apostle Paul acknowledged even himself that when he was willing to do the right thing, he was unable to carry it out in his flesh. As he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, um, he tells the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, we are not naturally inclined to even know God's will. And even when we desire to know it, we are incapable of following through and doing his will. So this is a problem for everyone. It's a universal problem. We do want to acknowledge that when we come to him in prayer. Uh, that does not mean that we because we are inclined in that direction, that we are incapable of ever doing his will, right? We recognize that we need his spirit to guide us. We, we depend upon his grace uh, to give us the strength to carry that out, to do good works, to be pleasing to him. Uh, but we acknowledge that apart from him, we can do nothing. So we're not natu- or we are naturally prone to do uh, what is rebellious, against God's word. And apart from the regenerating grace of God, our minds will remain at enmity against him. So in fact, we are incapable of being anything but an enemy who rebels against God. That is our, that's the ability we're born with, right? The ability to rebel. Uh, And this ought to humble us, to bring us to the end of ourselves, 
But instead, our reaction is oftentimes to complain, to grumble, uh, like the Israelites did in the wilderness. After God graciously and sovereignly rescued them in very obvious ways, right? He gave signs to Moses. He gave, I mean, they had seen all of the plagues fall upon the Egyptians. And then he brought them through the Red Sea. And what do they do as soon as they get on the other side of the sea? Well, they start by worshiping God. They respond with the song of Moses and they worship him. But shortly after that, they say, where's our food? How are we going to survive? Why did you bring us out here? Wouldn't it have been better if we had just died back in Egypt? We could have at least had some, some food before our death, have a last meal. And so they complain, they grumble. The children of Israel still had the audacity to grumble against Moses and Aaron after it was so obvious that God had brought them there. And are we not prone toward the same attitude? And that's the point of this idea. But when we talk about our inability, we want to recognize and acknowledge that we do the same things. When we don't get what we want, we grumble and we complain as if God didn't intend to teach us something through this. So the inclination of our old nature is to follow the will of the world, our flesh, and the devil. So let us begin our prayers for the will of God to be done by acknowledging our inability to know and to do his will, and thus our need of his help in removing our rebellion. And that's why the, the answer goes next. God's removal of our rebellion. We can't stop being like that apart from his help. So although we want to acknowledge our sinful disposition toward the will of God, we don't expect to stay there. We don't beat ourselves up and just kick ourselves while we're down. We, we trust and ask the Lord to regenerate us, to give us strength, to move us, to give us the compassion we need to love our neighbor, All right? We know that God is able to remove whatever hinders our knowledge and disobedience, whatever hinders our obedience, I mean, right? Whatever causes us to disobey. We know God is capable of removing those stumbling blocks from our mind and our heart and our life. And so we ask God to remove our own blindness as well as the blindness of others. To, this requires the work of the Spirit to enlighten us about the hope of our calling and the riches of the glory of our inheritance, as Paul says to the church in Ephesus. We ask God to remove our weakness by granting us strength in our inner man by his spirit. We need God's help to fight against our tired flesh, which would prefer more sleep than learning and doing God's will in prayer. And how often have you guys sought to pray. You intend to pray. Maybe you get up in the morning and you say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to get up a little bit earlier so that I don't have to rush off to work and I have time to pray and you sit down to pray and you fall asleep. And that's so common because we are weak and we're prone to that, but we can ask for the spirit to strengthen us. So we need God's help to fight against that. Let us learn from Peter's failure right? when he couldn't keep awake. And keep watch in prayer for the Lord in Gethsemane. And that should humble us when we do the same thing. We, we kind of look at Peter and we say, how could you do that? How could you look upon the, the, the trembling Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane who's literally sweating so profusely, it's like drops of blood dropping to the ground, and you're sleeping? 
And yet, it's pretty easy to understand when we try to pray our, our, our own. So we ask God to remove our perverseness of heart. And this involves training us through discipline and restoring us through repentance. So knowing and doing God's will also requires that positive side. God's enabling of our obedience. So again, we, we acknowledge that, that we um, are prone to rebellion. And that we are incapable of knowing and doing his will. And we also pray for the removal of that rebellion, to, for, the spirit of, for his spirit to give us grace and strength as we fight against our weaknesses and our tendencies. And then we also, also pray for his enabling of our obedience. So when we need the grace of God, uh, or, or we do need the grace of God both to enable and to make us willing to know, do, and submit to his will in all things. Psalm 119 describes those whose goal is to be undefiled and walk in the law of the Lord. Right, this is a good thing to desire these things, to have a goal to be undefiled, uh, to keep his statutes and to keep his precepts diligently. That's Psalm 119.8 uh, and 4. And so God must cause us to obey and to delight in his commandments. Psalm 119 verse 35 only he can incline our heart to his testimonies. Psalm 119, verse 36. So we must submit our wills to the will of God. We, we, we ask him to conform our wills to his in prayer. We, if, if God is sovereign, then we're, uh, we're not capable of telling God what to do. We ask him to, to bring us in line with his will. And, and, and he is going to accomplish his perfect will. So God shows us in his word what is required to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with him, Micah 6, 8. True worship is filled with the joy of the Lord. So Job's supernatural contentment when he lost everything, you know the story of Job, lost his family, lost his career, all of his cattle, all of his animals, his home, and then he ultimately lost his health as well. But the way he responded was to give God praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gave and he takes away. So that contentment, that supernatural contentment had to be given to him by, his, by God's spirit. I, that was not something that, that we naturally are inclined to do. Job's supernatural contentment when he lost everything is a testimony of God's faithfulness to preserve us even through the deepest suffering. David wanted to do the right thing with the Ark of the Covenant, even if it did not lead to God's favor, right? He wanted the covenant to be placed where, where he thought uh, it, was, it was God's will for that to be, but he also trusted that even if he didn't receive God's favor, right, that God's will would be done, and he submitted his will to the will of the Lord. Right? He thought he was doing the right thing. It's kind of what we do. Right? We, we read God's word. We understand what he's teaching us through that word. And then we try to do the right thing. We trust in him. To, and we submit our wills to him. And, we, and we, um, we ask him to guide us and lead us. So God added uh, 15 years to Hezekiah's life because he was a faithful king. Isaiah 38, 3. Um, Romans 12, 11 teaches us that we need the, the Lord's enabling to serve him with zeal, with sincerity, and with constancy. 
And so we ask him to give us those attributes in prayer. So the angels that are worshiping God in heaven are an example of the devotion that we long for. We've seen their prayers in, in Revelation. We see in Isaiah 6.3 how they declare God's holiness and glory to one another. And they do so day and night before the throne. They bless the Lord and do his will in perfect submission, according to Psalm 103. Um, and so as we've done previously, I, I want to conclude our time by just giving us an example, a model of how to pray for the Lord's will to be done um, in a way that's uh, aligned with this answer. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we do begin um, recognizing our dependence upon you. We come to you in prayer, first of all, seeing our own proneness to wander, to allow our thoughts to wander, to be distracted by anything and everything from obeying you, from reading your word, from understanding how to pray, and then from actually engaging in prayer as we sit down to pray. So oftentimes our, our minds are distracted by other things. We're in, uh, unable to know your will. We're unable to do your will. Lord, and so we begin by acknowledging that, that, that we do have uh, rebellious old natures that we are fighting against. We are utterly unable and unwilling to know and do your will. And so we do pray that that acknowledgement would humble us, that you would, that you would bring us before your throne with a sense of humility, with a sense of dependence, recognizing that we are prone toward uh, an attitude of grumbling and complaining like the Israelites. Or in turn, turn those opportunities and opportunities to give you thanks, to give you praise, that even in our suffering, we know you are, you are bringing us to the place that you want us to be in our character and our understanding. Or that, that you are using the trials in our lives to build us up and equip us for your, uh, for your calling in our lives. So we acknowledge our inability. We also ask for your willingness to remove that rebellion from us. Lord, we, we know that, that we ourselves are oftentimes blind to our own needs, and we know others are blind as well. So we pray that you would remove that blindness from us. Remove any weaknesses and, uh, in our tendencies. Remove our perverseness of heart. Lord, cause us to desire to pray. Cause us to have the, the right motives in our prayers. And, and as we, we, again, learned this morning, we, we recognize that it is only because of what Christ has done, the blood that he has shed, that, that we can come before your throne of grace and that our prayers can be heard before you. So, Lord, remove that rebellion in us and allow us, enable us to walk in obedience to have a zeal and a sincerity and a constancy, Lord, that we would desire uh, obedience, that we would delight in your law and walk 
diligently according to your precepts and statutes. Lord, we know that we cannot do that apart from you. We know that if we are going to have anything close to the kind of um, example we see in the devotion we see of the angels in heaven, that it will be a work of your spirit. And so when we pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking you to come and meet us where we are and do a work in our hearts that we might rightly pray to you. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand. Our hymn.